Politics, it's time for Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show about the crucial political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and the nation at large. Join us for a stimulating, thought-provoking discussion. You'll get the facts as we focus on the challenges facing everyone. Good morning, Verde Valley. Thank you for tuning in this morning and spending the next 45 minutes with us. I am Hava Derby, flying solo today as my co-host and cohort takes a well-deserved vacation. Hope you're having fun, Steve. Thanks for uh, having me alone here. He said, you can choose anybody you want. It was a no-brainer to have uh, criminal defense attorney Charity Law <laughs> with me today. Thanks for uh, thanks for being here, making yeah. the schlep up here. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. It's nice to be in Sedona. Beautiful weather up yeah, here as we're getting hot down time. in the valley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Beautiful. So this is actually the first time we've seen each other in person. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. It's the first time. You fell into my lap like some angel. <laughs> um, gosh, look at that. We've got a message from Rocky calling in. Is he there? Is he on? No. Okay. Well, we're okay. Well, we're we, we've missed Rocky today, but we'll, maybe we'll have him on at the end. Um, I can't see what that message says. So, um, yes, um, Charity got dropped into my lap like an angel. I think your office actually reached out to me back in August. I got arrested for protesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, many pro, uh, arrests last summer. How did you actually <laughs> take on my case? Pro bono, I might add. Um, there was a number of us who volunteered to represent protesters uh, on a pro bono basis who were arrested in the protests that were going on down in in the Valley. We were aware, and actually throughout the state, I, I stuck with the ones in the Valley, but just we were aware that... Uh, there was heightened scrutiny on the protests, that there were going to be a lot of arrests, that there were going to be a lot of really unlawful arrests. And uh, so as a result, the defense bar gathered together and we decided we would start representing people. So we had some uh, who organized it and then reached out to those of us who had volunteered to do that. And uh, I was reached out to for your case and a couple others and, and contacted you in order to take on that case. Um, our goal was to really do whatever we could to represent people who were just voicing uh, their opinions, exercising their free speech mm-hmm. and and fight back for that because it, oftentimes you get caught up in there and if you don't have a defense attorney and you're caught up in the ju- justice system, you're just going to be washed away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so how many of these cases did you take on? I took on, I think I only three, mm-hmm. if I recall correctly, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Um, there were so there were a lot of us on the defense bar who who volunteered for that. So we were able to disperse them pretty. Yeah. Evenly. Shout out to a few of those law firms because they were so amazing. Maldonado, right? Mm-hmm. Maldonado, Maldonado did it. Um, I know Amando Nava did it. Uh, James Palestini did it with Palestini Law. Um Jeez, I know there's more I'm forgetting, yeah. so I apologize to the rest of you guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Maldonado, mm-hmm. amazing firm. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a number to call for bail. Mm-hmm. Um, they were on it. You know, that I spent a night in jail, and they had uh, Christine. Gosh, I wish I could remember her name. She was wonderful. She just showed up out of the out of the ethers, um, and uh, so it was quite an amazing 
coalition mm-hmm. of you guys really taking care of us. Yeah, yeah. That was really important to us on the defense bar because, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, people often ask us, they say, well, how do you do what you do? How do you represent those types of people all the time? And what people forget is what we're not, what we're doing in every client that we represent is we are representing people's rights. Mm-hmm. That's our goal. Our goal isn't to try and get somebody some slime bag off or anything crazy like that. Our goal is to represent people's rights to make sure the Constitution is protected. And this was a really good opportunity for us to do that um, and really gather together and and stand up for the Constitution and people's rights. Yeah. So how did your cases turn out? Um, All of them really turned out well. Uh, Either the most of them, actually, I think I got dismissals on all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, We were able to do that because, again, uh, the ones that I wound up with were just really wrongful arrests. It was just the uh, police not happy with what was going on um, and a organized, an organized attack on free speech mm-hmm. is what I would call it. Yeah, really interesting details in like particularly my arrest mm-hmm. that uh, because I flipped off <laughs> yes. a row of them. You heard on body cam footage. Yes. Throw her, round her up with the rest of yeah. the arrests tonight. Mm-hmm. The, the body cam footage was really telling. And, and body cam footage is interesting because and we've been fighting for this as well. Is, uh, the police have the ability to turn off their body cam footage at certain points. Um, and they select when to turn it on, when to turn it off. Um, that becomes a big issue in a lot of cases. And in your case, I think with all of the chaos that was going on, there were several officers who forgot to turn off their body cam footage during their uh, discussions back and forth and during their radio calls. Um, so he was able to hear in some of that footage comments like, you know, round up all of the, these people here are some people we want you to get uh, just arrest them when we get back to the station we'll figure out the charges uh, and that was that was pretty crucial I think in the city of Phoenix determining and, and kudos to the city of Phoenix I have to say in determining that hey we're not going to continue to prosecute that um, that's something you don't often get in municipalities mm-hmm. because they just kind of prosecute and prosecute um, but I was impressed with the response that they said, you know what, no, we're not going to we're not going to move forward and prosecute this. We don't have a good case. Um, and that that's something that, you know, at the end of the day, you also have to give out the kudos when they do the right thing. Yeah. And, you know, to be fair, they had to really uh, given all of the um, exposure mm-hmm. of the corruption inside of the Maricopa County Attorney's Office, mm-hmm. the police, um, the challenge point, all, all kinds of issues. Um it's really hard for them to try and make some of these things stick. Yeah, I think that was uh, that was a good pressure point that we had, particularly when your case was uh, coming up, and I was able to point that out as well. As you know, do, do you guys want to be yeah. in this mix, or yeah. do you want to do the right thing? And yeah. they they did the right thing, and they dismissed the case, which is what they should have done. Because, you know, and even at the end of the day, to arrest people after they've left a protest Mm -hmm. for essentially what's called, it's just jaywalking. Mm -hmm. I mean, we call blocking a thoroughfare, but it's jaywalking. Mm -hmm. And to arrest them, put them in jail, that is really just an attack on the protest. I mean, 
blocking a thoroughfare is rarely ever cited in the first place. Yeah. And you can um, just give a ticket. You can give a ticket. And just let them go. Correct. You jail them. Yeah, you don't need to jail them. So that was really, and if they've already left, there's really no point. And, and, you know, I mean, think about if we're, if we were really concerned about blocking a thoroughfare, how pissed would we be if we were using police resources to go track down people who jaywalked to arrest them, mm-hmm. process them through, the jails. I mean, in the cost of that, you've yeah. got to think about the end during COVID we're doing this, oh, which is gross. Yeah. It and that's really going to, and it's also increasing the cost of how, how that process went because of mm-hmm. the extra steps that they were supposed to do for the COVID protections and whatnot. I mean, it was really a gross waste of resources, which mm-hmm. is another thing I don't think people think about. I mean, yeah. like the protests, hate the protests. It doesn't matter. Do you really want us spending our money on something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That that night um, when they decided to round up people out of the city skate parking lot, that be kind of came the summer spot mm-hmm. for getting arrested. Mm-hmm. Um, dragged a woman out of her car. Yep. Um, wasn't even at the protest. She was her birthday. She had had dinner. She gets into her car to take her friends home safely and gets dragged out of her car and almost mm-hmm. broke her foot. I don't even know if uh, how Leslie's foot turned out but um yeah it's and also the targeting you know Mm -hmm. i know a couple of friends have said they saw you know picture groups of pictures with x's on them Mm -hmm. um when i was in the back of the car uh the arresting officer in the passenger seat had her phone up and i looked over her shoulder and saw two rows of photos license photos mine being one of them Mm -hmm. and the some sentence i couldn't read and then thank you with a strong arm emoji so it was definitely a summer of finding out who was at all the protest. And, of course, you watch some of the uh, footage from the August 9th, the body cam footage that Dave Biscobing uncovered. Mm-hmm. Um, you see them picking people out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you have Bruce? Do you have Jonah? Yeah. That guy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, things might not get any better or it might not go out now that we're looking at all of these you know, anti-protest bills right. popping up around the country. Rob mm-hmm. uh, DeSantos just signed in the strongest anti-rioting bill. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what does this mean for you know us? You know, it, again, it, we're still dealing, I can't say it enough, it's just an attack on the First Amendment. I, I mean, regardless of your political position and what you believe as far as as any of the things that have been going on that protests have been happening about, we we really do have to be careful about protecting the First Amendment and protecting people's rights to gather and to protest. And they may not always say things that you like on whichever side of the fence you're on, but to allow bills that quash that, that, that just make it impossible to do that and uh, yeah. really increase the criminal penalties. We're talking about you know giving people felonies for being out and protesting. Right. And um, then 2309. 2309. What's that one when there's more than... So it's more than seven people. Uh, if they're out there, it becomes a unlawful... Uh, oh, geez, I'm forgetting the term that they put in their assembly. If there's more than seven people and there's any sort of damage to property, I believe is the is the caveat. I had it here on my phone. I'd have to look up the actual language on it. Um, but, you know, it really is a attack on on protests. In fact, the, the sponsor of the bill, uh, Representative Brett Roberts, admitted mm-hmm. in a committee hearing that his intention was to discourage protests. Mm-hmm. And 
the fact that we have representatives, people who are supposed to be representing the public saying, my goal is to limit people's exercise of free speech. That's problematic. That's something Mm -hmm. that we really need to think about. These are the people who are representing us, supposed to be representing our interests. And again, I think no matter what side of the fence you're on, you need to be concerned about that because the tides change very quickly in our political system. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe the party you're not happy with is the one doing the most protesting, but that's going to that's going to shift and it's going to come back on on something you're passionate about and you're concerned about. And then here are here are some laws that are getting passed in the heat of the moment um, for the purposes of, of stopping you from speaking out about your your beliefs, your feelings, the things that that mm-hmm. we are built on. Yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. so this this wave of bills is really just an attempt to silence people rather than address the right. issues that people are out in the streets talking about talking about. Right. You know, right. black and brown bodies still you know, mm-hmm. being stolen. Yep, yep. And that, that is the thing is, is people don't want to talk about it. We want, um, and that's something I've noticed in my legislative work is, is uh, we want fast solutions, but they're not the right solutions. I used to kind of walk, go around uh, doing speaking on uh, smart on crime rather than tough on crime because, mm-hmm. you know, in Arizona, we're really tough on crime, but we're not smart on anything. We want to, we want a quick resolution and our, our, uh, political leaders will quickly appease whomever it is that they're they're catering to with some quick legislative solution without looking at the repercussions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something as the public we need to stand up against and say mm-hmm. we don't want a quick resolution. Mm-hmm. We want the right resolution. We want the correct resolution. We want to talk about how do we actually make some real long-lasting change, mm-hmm. not you know some talking point that some political leader can use later to get more votes. And that's mm-hmm. what these things are. Yeah, yeah. And overcharging. I was listening mm-hmm. to uh, a little talk you were giving, and you talked about this one case about a, a boy that, uh, you know, did a dare and uh, flashed himself in the football photo. And remember this? Oh, it's been some years yes. Now, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but it was a really interesting treatise on, on overcharging mm-hmm. and, and what we're charging mm-hmm. people for. It was, Yeah, and... The the criminal justice system shouldn't be a platform for your moral compass. It mm-hmm. shouldn't be a way to, to say, I don't like this, so now I'm going to charge it. These have real repercussions yeah. on people's lives, even misdemeanors. And I think sometimes uh, in the criminal justice system, prosecutors and uh, legislators, we, we think, well, it's just a misdemeanor. What does that matter? That can have some major repercussions on people's lives. And now we're increasing these things to felonies. Um, you know, the uh, HV uh, 2309 increases it to a class six felony. I think the thought process there is, well, if the judge determines that it's a class six, it should be a misdemeanor. It shouldn't be a felony. Class six can be designated a misdemeanor, but that's not always in the judge's hands. That's not how that happens. When that gets played out, you know, the judge doesn't always get to say that A, a prosecutor can with the amount of charges you can rack up with the way that bill is, um, you're you're putting people in a position where the prosecutor is going to have the, the power for those pleas, and you're going to mm-hmm. get pleas for designated felonies on that, where there's not going to be a choice for that judge either, and and that's problematic. And even if the judge can designate it a misdemeanor, it can become a misdemeanor later. Those still have 
really big repercussions on mm-hmm. people's lives. Mm-hmm. And typically it's not going to be designated a misdemeanor until after somebody finishes probation. And so during that entire time, whomever this is has a felony on their record that affects jobs, that affects mm-hmm. your civil rights, obviously. Mm-hmm. Right. Voting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It affects a lot of things. And, and uh, in the bill, I found it really interesting that it... 2309? Mm-hmm, that there was uh, talk about disbanding specifically it made clear that you would lose student loan funding yeah um and i think that speaks to the targets of this bill uh, it's people? it's not targeting it's not targeting the criminal element it's mm-hmm. yes it's targeting young people people who are trying to get an education people who are finding their voice mm-hmm. um and that's that's really scary to yeah. say i'm going to target young people who are finding their voice, figuring out how they're going to interact in this adult world and in this political system that we have. Um, and they're limited on what they can do because they're still in school, but we're going to target you and then we're going to prevent your ability to even continue on with your education. Yeah. So where does 2309 stand now? So right now, what did we just say? It's in the Senate, I mm-hmm. believe, waiting for its vote on this in the Senate. Um and then after that, you know, it's going to go, if it passes, it'll go to the governor. Yeah. And uh, we got to work on him vetoing. We've got to work on him <laughs> vetoing. And so, you know, you, everyone out there, you need to contact your, your representatives, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, send information to the governor now. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing we've noticed is in some of these cases where we've got criminal justice bills that are coming out um, at, at the you know last hour, people are providing the governor with false information on these mm. bills. We've seen that in some other ones. And, and for me, mean? It just uh, literally false information and, and in fact, lying to him. And, and I f- mm. unfortunately forget which bills we talked about, but there were some bills in prior sessions where we determined the information that the governor got when he signed the bill or vetoed the bill was mm. actually false information. Mm. And that's problematic. So, you know, there's a lot of people speaking up on the side against criminal justice reform. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're providing false information on that. We on the side of criminal justice reform really need to be louder. We need to find our voice. Mm-hmm. We need to make sure we're going through the channels, talking to people, getting information out there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just so much misinformation in the criminal justice realm mm-hmm. that people don't understand. Uh, they don't understand what the bills do. They don't understand mm-hmm. how that's going to work. They don't understand the law. Um, and so that becomes really problematic. Um, I'm a part of AACJ, which is Arizona Attorneys for Criminal Justice. And we've been really making a, a big difference, I think, in in working on that and voicing this and, and really getting some some information in front of the legislature that they previously haven't had mm. about how laws work and what happens when you sign that quick bill or you agree to this uh, this uh, bill that could end up really having some big effects down the line. It's mm-hmm. not just what you're seeing by that sponsor and what they're saying they want to take care of. There's repercussions as they go forward. Right. So are you saying the legislatures maybe don't have an idea, enough idea of the law? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. They don't have enough idea of the law. They don't have enough idea of how uh, laws work in practice mm-hmm. when you're actually there, when you're actually dealing with prosecutors, you're dealing with the system. Um, it's It's not as cut and dry as it looks and Mm -hmm. and things that may seem uh, simple and and benign end up having really far-reaching consequences yeah 
So we're waiting on 2309 mm-hmm. uh, all over the country. I think there's over 80 in 34 states. Mm-hmm. I don't know what, what um, stage these are all at. But people really don't kind of get a little uh, blinder around legislation. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people don't really know how it works, mm-hmm. you know, the House, the Senate, how bills move through. Um, do you ever work with people or, or help people get involved with? Um, it's something that I'm I'm wanting to do. Mm-hmm. I haven't gotten it off the ground yet. Some of what I'm really wanting to do is is work with younger people, mm-hmm. get into high schools, talk mm-hmm. to them about how the law works, mm-hmm. um, not just at the legislative le- uh, level, but once it's already enacted and it's mm-hmm. a law. There's a lot of young people out there that don't even understand uh, what the laws are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've I've represented a lot of young people who have gotten themselves into big trouble doing something they didn't think was that bad, mm-hmm. but because they didn't understand the law. Unfortunately, um, schools are not clamoring to have a criminal defense attorney come in and talk to students. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a misconception, again, about what is a criminal defense attorney? What do we do? I mean, we obviously we must just be out there representing bad guys and and you know all of this. That's kind of people's first. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The question. Hear, I, yeah. Criminal justice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, criminal. Uh, criminal defense. defense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The question. You know, like I said, we always get is how do you do that? I you know I've, I've been asked I don't know how many times how do you sleep at night? Uh, I sleep fine. <laughs> so so talk a little bit about that because obviously mm-hmm. you know you represented. Me, Mm -hmm. in my case, um, not a criminal, but (laughs) I was the defendant in this Mm -hmm. case. So talk a little bit about who, what kind of people, what kind of cases you represent as a criminal defense attorney. I mean, I take all cases because, like I said, my... My goal in what I do is to protect the Constitution. It's mm. to protect everyone's rights. So I don't have one set of cases I won't take. I, mm-hmm. I take everything. Um, I don't typically take a lot of misdemeanors, but I take all major felonies. Um, I do misdemeanors as well. So anything from, sh- um, <clears throat> excuse me, shoplift up to homicide, mm-hmm. sex offenses, all of that. And and the reason is. There, these laws that we have, particularly in Arizona, cast a really wide net. And so people hear the type of cases I do and they automatically think everyone I represent it must be a really bad person, um, particularly because I do major felonies. Mm-hmm. But in, in fact, I represent a lot of people who just got caught in a wide net. Um, mm-hmm. That is a large portion of what's in our criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, and that's not to say maybe they didn't do something wrong. But they're caught in a wide net and they're facing really significant penalties for something that when you get down to the nuts and bolts of what it was, isn't isn't the criminal element we're out there trying to attack. Um, Nobody wants people getting hurt. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants people being victimized. But because we cast such a wide net, oftentimes the people that are are most victimized can be the ones sitting in that defense chair next Mm -hmm. to me. In part five of this criminal justice series we've been doing on the show, um, we had uh, Dustin uh, Steenstra on who works in restorative justice. Mm -hmm. Have you had any experience kind of keeping your defendants out of the courts or maybe I guess with restorative justice, they probably wouldn't even reach you. Would they where where would you fall into a restore an an attempt to use restorative justice in a case where there's really harm to to somebody? Um, 
you know, and I'm not super familiar. I know mm. of restorative justice, mm-hmm. but I'm not super familiar with it. Um, so when you're asking me where would I fall in? Yeah, I, and, and maybe I'm, I should know the answer to this question since we had Dustin on. But, um, you know, restorative justice obviously being a way of of, um, of, of rectifying harm mm-hmm. between okay. the victim and the perpetrator. Kind of keeping, keeping it out of, out of the criminal justice mm-hmm. system, keeping them out of prison. So, yes. Okay. So that is something that, uh, you know, I, I haven't had personal experience with, but in that sense, oftentimes people will contact us as defense attorneys before they're charged. They mm-hmm. know something right. happened. They know a charge is going to happen. Um, and while I haven't dealt with restorative justice, the group itself, there are times where we can communicate with whomever the the victim may be or, or whatever, talking through the police department. There's there's rules on this. So, um, you know, when you're a defendant in a case or you're going to be a defendant in a case, you have to be really careful with how you broach talking to a victim because that can all <laughs> can potentially create more mm-hmm. issues. Right. But if you contact a defense attorney ahead of time we can do things to try and uh, address those issues, the harm that's happened and rectify the harm before you get in the criminal justice system, Mm -hmm. which is helpful because even victims oftentimes get really lost Mm -hmm. in the criminal justice system. What people don't understand is, is the prosecutors, they don't represent victims. Um, I oftentimes hear questions about, well, what if, what if the victim says that they don't want, to pursue charges anymore. They don't want to press charges. Victims don't press charges in the state of Arizona. The state of Arizona presses charges. So you, I can't tell you the amount of cases I've had where a victim is saying, no, I don't want this prosecuted. This is not the the best result for what happened to me. The state of Arizona continues to prosecute because the prosecuting agency represents the state of Arizona. That means it represents all of you out there who are listening. Mm -hmm. So if you have a problem with this type of a concept where we are spending money to prosecute a case where a victim is saying, I don't want it prosecuted, Mm -hmm. you need to speak up because this is the state representing you, not that victim, but you as a whole, the state of Arizona, the community, all all of the constituents, that's what's being represented. Um, you know, there are some reasonable concepts behind that way of prosecuting. And it's, you know, obviously you think about domestic violence, you think about somebody who's been really victimized and, and the perpetrator is intimidating them. And so the state would need to be able to continue even if the victim says no. But unfortunately, we're so far past that. And again, that's where laws that are put in place with the concept of, hey, there's a good reason behind it, just get, you know, I don't know if I can say bastardized on the radio. Yeah, sure. Um, they get bastardized in the sense that then they run wild um with the prosecuting agencies that are out there. And now again, that's the prosecuting agencies. These are elected officials. Mm-hmm. Um, these are people that we've put into office, you know, and they're doing this based on the way they view what Arizona wants. So this is another reason people need to be educated and they need to speak up. I mean, think about the amount of money that's wasted on prosecuting and 
um, convicting mm-hmm. somebody where the victim's saying, no, this isn't what I want. Um, and truthfully saying that, not, yeah. in, not in these situations where that person's still being victimized, but truthfully saying, I don't want this to go forward. Yeah, it's almost like re-traumatizing the victim yeah. twice. Yeah, and that can happen too. I've had cases like that. I can't go into details about them, but I've had cases where the victim was you know, screaming at the top of their lungs, I don't want this. Mm-hmm. Um, this has already all been taken care of. We've already dealt with all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we prosecute years after a crime has taken place. Um, and, and the victim saying no, and the state saying, well, we're going to go forward because that's what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, I see that a lot of times with juvenile offenders, um, who are then prosecuted as adults because, Something people don't know about the state of Arizona that's super fun, and we're trying, hoping to get this moved at some point in the legislature. But again, something that we need the public to speak up against is uh, the state of Arizona will wait to prosecute a juvenile offender until they're an adult because the law is based on the age of the offender at the time of being prosecuted, not at mm-hmm. the time the offense took place. So an offense takes place when the the offender is 15, 16. All state of Arizona needs to do to avoid juvenile court is wait until the offender turns 18. Yeah. And they will, and they'll wait. And on the 18th birthday, um, they'll prosecute. And and sometimes these are really serious offenses uh, that have mandatory prison time on them. Um, And, you know, if they're victim offenses, the age of the victim is judged at the time of the offense. But not, the but not the defendant. So you can have defendants who committed an offense when they were 15, 16, being charged with what's called a dangerous crime against children because the victim was 14, 15 when this happened. So they were relatively close in age, but we wait till the defendant's 18 um, and free reign on, on mandatory prison sentences uh, manipulates how that defendant can plea. Um, and it's also, I think, very disingenuous when you think we're going to prosecute somebody at 18 for something they committed as a juvenile mm-hmm. with mandatory prison sentences because we want to say this is a really bad crime, but it wasn't bad enough for us to get involved right after it happened. Mm. We're going to wait. And that's that's something that happens rarely in the state of Arizona. So just in this, I mean, maybe in other states, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Do, and I'm not familiar with how yeah. other states do. I do know there are some states that won't, they don't allow you to wait until somebody turns an adult. Yeah. Um, but in Arizona, we do we do that. We're allowed to do that, um, and it happens more often than not. I've had clients, you know, like we talked about with the restorative justice type thing, where clients will call me ahead of time and say, hey, this is what happened, and it's a juvenile, and I say, you know, watch out for, it's going to come up on your 18th birthday. I can tell you the state's not wow. going to prosecute you now. What a nice thing to mm-hmm. anticipate for your mm-hmm. birthday. Yep. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Wow. I, but you're saying there's, you're trying to there is some that. There is some hope that we'll be able to at some point in time uh, adjust that, get a bill through. Uh, but it's slow moving. We're really slow moving on criminal justice reform yeah. and we're taking the steps to really gain the trust in the legislature because, yeah. we, you know, we're a bunch of criminal defense attorneys. <laughs> so what made you choose criminal defense? Um, 
I chose criminal defense. Uh, I actually wanted to be a lawyer since I was in high school. Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I met a criminal defense attorney in high school, I asked the same question. Why, how do you prosecute or how do you defend somebody who's, who's guilty? I had that same mindset and all the way up until law school, I was planning to be a prosecutor, but I, uh, ended up working for a criminal defense attorney while I was in law school and, um, really started seeing how the system worked and in seeing how the system worked because my goal had always been to help people, uh, particularly help young people make better choices and, and turn their lives around. I realized there's no way I can do that as a prosecutor, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I can do it as a defense attorney. Mm. I can help people turn their lives around, fix problems that they have because at the end of the day, we are all, people who make mistakes Mm -hmm. and uh, you know I believe in grace and I believe in forgiveness and that's a really important part of my life so the best way that I could represent that and what I did and really have you know somewhat of a ministry and a uh, an opportunity to serve people was by being a criminal defense attorney and, Mm. and being able to help people take what is the worst situation in their life and hopefully turn it around. Nice. So my favorite thing is when I have uh, former clients contact me later and tell me how good they're doing, you Mm. know, that this hasn't been their defining moment. They've been Mm. able to find themselves um, past that. Excuse me. Beautiful. Well, we definitely need more Charity Clarks, you know, as defense attorneys, because uh, it's important what you're saying about representing the rights of even Mm -hmm. those that have committed crimes yeah mm-hmm. yeah and there's a lot of us out there <laughs> yeah people good, don't realize good, that there's good, a lot good, of us good, out good there guys, that's good. that's most of that for the most part i think that's everyone's goal it's not a it's not always a fun job it's a stressful job yeah um, i imagine so you really do have to be passionate about it to be good mm-hmm. at it so i wanted since we've got some a few minutes here okay. to uh jump into the uh what's what's gone on since the passage of prop 207 the uh what do we call it short? The marijuana bill? <laughs> marijuana. Marijuana, marijuana prop? You know, we've just been calling it Prop 207. I don't yeah. think we've even given it a good nickname yet. Um, I am, I'm, as most of us are, very happy that this bill passed. There's still a lot of work to be done with uh, with Prop 207. Um, right now, we haven't seen... We've seen good things. We've seen a lot of uh, dismissals of cases. We've seen... Um, you know, the opportunity to expunge this is coming up in July mm-hmm. to expunge those those cases. So that's good. We're not wasting time and resources on prosecuting people who smoke or use or have mm-hmm. marijuana. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been really great. We haven't seen how the expungement's going to go. We've all kind of on the defense bar um, worked together to try and figure out how we're going to do that and uh, get some plans for that. So a lot of us have that together. We're getting people who contact us to do that. We're all geared up. So the, mm-hmm. the July the, 12th. Yeah, July 12th. <laughs> July 12th. The court is going to be bombarded with a quite a lot of these um, petitions to expunge. Um, and, and I think there's a reasonable route to do that because we had something on the books previously for um, expungement of, of uh, a record if you were an innocent offender. In other words, you were wrongfully arrested, mm. wrongfully charged. 
So there's a process for it. So I think it should go pretty smooth. Um, some of the things we are concerned about is you know, how this is going to go forward with the prosecuting agencies as far as some of the holes in Prop 207. For example, the you, know, you can have six plants as an adult mm-hmm. over 21, but you only have two ounces of usable marijuana. A plant's going to, you know, six plants yeah, is going <laughs> to produce lot. more than that. Right. Um, so, you know, we've got some concerns about that. We're hoping we don't see an influx of sting operations and cases like we did when medical marijuana became a thing mm-hmm. where um, prosecuting agencies uh, and police agencies were getting together to set up stings to arrest people with cards who were selling the to delivery, people with cards right. for delivery. Yeah. yeah, I've heard you talk about that. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. The yeah. delivery thing. Yeah, and that Which, was... And, and they didn't know that mm-hmm. what they were doing was wrong. Yeah, in a lot of cases, they really thought that they were within mm-hmm. the law. But the right. law was... It, it's complicated and it's difficult. And these aren't people who thought, oh, I'm going to contact an attorney first and get this vetted. Um, just like with most businesses, you don't contact an attorney ahead of time before you start a business. You start a business because yeah, yeah. you think an attorney is expensive. Um, yeah, and then they were either getting prosecuted. And, and the really horrible thing, but also uh, kudos for the legislative committee of what we did was um, – the law was such that if you had different dates of offense, so let's say in an example of this, an officer would do a sting operation, set up several different buys on several different dates with the same person. That would then move them to what we call a category three offender because they would have that many dates, making them mandatory prison and not just mandatory prison, but mandatory wow. high prison sentences, wow. which put them in a position where they're having to plea out to high felonies. <clears throat> have jail time and things like that on their first introduction to the justice system. And we had some judges that were really frustrated with this as well, very upset that this is how this was being done because mm-hmm. victimless crime, we're just selling right. marijuana to right. people who want marijuana, who have cards. Um, so are, are any of those cases eligible to be expunged? They, they are been not. prosecuted already? No. They're not no. Um, uh, because it was, it was sales. It was uh, not just possession, personal use. Wow. Yeah. So those people are still going to suffer the consequences of that and have have felonies on the record. And, and so we're hoping not to see the state of Arizona use this kind of hole in Prop 207 mm-hmm. to start prosecuting people who are trying to be within the law. Right. But unable to do so. Right. Well, you, you when you made that example or gave that example of the uh, delivery, the medical mm-hmm. card holders delivery and, mm-hmm. and buying, selling. Um, that was something that rather than set up this elaborate sting, they could have gone to these people and say, listen, yep. this, do, do you realize what you're doing is illegal? Yeah. So this, this whole elaborate setup to waste resources and money to, mm-hmm. you know, to prosecute bust people that mm-hmm. don't even know they're doing anything wrong. It's, right. it's, it's right. really yeah. crazy. Yeah. Not attacking the criminal element. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Um, do we have Rocky on the phone, Tom? Did he ever call in? Okay. Well, um, we will uh, hopefully have um, Jacob Rayford. He was a, a one of our. He was the first guest in our criminal justice series uh, back last year, and uh, no, I guess it's still this year. And uh, yeah, so um, I guess we're not going to have him on this morning, but uh, I'll give you a little no cap uh, update. The neighborhood organized crisis assistance program, kind of the. Uh, Savior out of this last year of craziness, um, getting uh, the community more involved in uh, answering nonviolent, non-criminal calls. 
And uh, this is now, let's see, Wednesday to Tuesday, May 8th at 2.30. You can register to speak to let Ed Zweiker, Zweiker know how you feel about uh, his proposed, bozo, uh, proposed um, budget. And so we've... Uh, he is on. Okay, well, I guess we do have Rocky. I'm going to put my headphones on, and uh, hello. Hey, how's it going? Good. Thank you for calling in. Sorry that's a little confusing this morning, but I'm happy we got you. We've only got a few minutes, and I wanted you to um, share what's happening. And, and, and ladies and gentlemen, I just want to say this is Jacob Rayford. He's the founder of We Rising. He's one of the founding coalition advocates of No Cap, and um, just a wonderful, wonderful uh Human being, I'm so glad you called in. Give us an update on no cap. I was just telling them that uh, Ed Zweiker is giving his uh, proposed budget on uh, uh, Tuesday. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, yeah Ed Zerker is uh, is giving his uh, proposed budget on um, so well, tomorrow after you know the past couple weeks of uh, you know back and forth with um, you know the writing process. A lot of this stuff is all of this stuff really is. Uh, unilateral decisions that are made behind closed doors without involvement from the community and uh, ad hoc community of uh, or committee of stakeholders who are directly impacted by these uh, issues that are very pertinent to uh, the communities in Phoenix, Arizona, specifically black and brown uh, communities that are disproportionately targeted um, by the uh, Phoenix Police Department. And, you know, we've seen a lot of cases in recent history, your Dion Johnson's and Tony Arce's and yeah. things of that nature. Um, um, James Garcia's yeah. and, and whatnot. Um, so right now we're in the uh, process of getting individuals um, educated on the need for a new first responder department that will mm-hmm. serve as a buffer between, um, you know, the dangers of uh, over-policing and, um, you know, the uh, police culture in general, as well as, uh, you know, the uh, communities that are directly impacted. A lot of these cases of um, police brutality do arise from what is uh, categorically defined as um, nonviolent victimless offenses. Mm-hmm. And um, so right now we are preparing to, uh, you know, galvanize people around the online uh, budget meeting that's going to be taking place tomorrow at um, city council starting at 2.30. You can go to nocapphoenix.com and register in advance. I would uh, definitely suggest doing so immediately as these uh, do tend to fill up in terms of the numbers. I believe you had over well over 100 people yeah. speaking at two minutes apiece last week. So you mm-hmm. can imagine the uh, the call, the, the wait time and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, you have a uh, pool party. We have a pool party when With no cap, the specialty, obviously... You know, this is a, a department that would uh, take care of calls from uh, check wellness all the way to mm-hmm. what is categorically defined as um, nonviolent crimes, as I said before. But, you know, also specializing, in, uh, importantly, in uh, behavioral substance uh, substance abuse, mm-hmm. uh, uh, calls pertaining to the unsheltered community, you know, crisis uh, assistance and things of that nature, uh, you know, calls that have historically been mishandled by the wrong first responder departments and have, um, you know, seen... Uh, cases of police brutality and at uh, times, um, you know, lethal results, you know. So yeah. uh, this is something that is universally needed across the board in uh, Maricopa County, and uh, I'm pretty confident that we'll have this uh, initiated. Yeah, so excited. And these are popping up all over the country, thank goodness, in response to uh, this last year. And, uh, yeah, go to uh, Linktree. Also, you can go to Linktree um, uh, slash nocap phoenix. P-H-X, 
and uh, hit the link to register to speak. We'd love to have your support. This is a really important community program. And uh, hey, Rocky, Jacob, thank you so much for uh, taking some time this morning and calling in. I will see you soon. Yeah, definitely. Uh, just really briefly, yeah. I do want to say that there is a distinct difference, distinct difference between uh, the Neighborhood Organized Crisis Assistance Program, its 18 fundamentals, and, um, you know, being professional here, what is uh, considered performative, uh, you know, in terms of the uh, CAP program that the city manager and the city of Phoenix is looking to initiate. There's yeah. nothing that is truly beneficial to the community there, unfortunately. And what we do have with no CAP is a... Uh, clear, defined 18 fundamental programs that will help this be independent and operate in the way it needs to operate in order to instill trust and healing and resolutions in our community. Excellent. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody, please go register to speak. Let's get this done. And thank you, everybody, for joining us this morning. Charity, thank you for joining me in the studio yeah. today. Thanks, Join us next week. We've got a great show with Holly and Jessica from Sedona City Council. Uh, we'll be talking about how the uh, state government is undercutting Sedona's ability to solve its own problems. Thank you so much uh, to Dor for supporting us. And we look forward to having you back next week with us. Thank you so much, Charity, Jacob, for calling in today. And we look forward to seeing you next week on 780 Casa. Are you? <laughs> it's so funny. Tom and I were just talking about how long a minute as it is. And uh, um, gosh, Charity, thank you so much. Give us a uh, real quick. Your uh, law firm is Charity Clark Law. Charity Clark Law, yes. Beautiful. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show focusing on the political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and our nation at large. Catch us every Monday morning after the 8 a.m. news, right here on AM 780 KAZM. It's beautiful out there, folks. Have a great day.